Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emarch Continuing Chapter 40 Insensibility of Heart Involuntary insensibility of heart is very painful, even more painful than stupidity of spirit, because it is with our heart that we love God. Moreover, the will, being directed entirely by love, seems at such times to be as if paralyzed. God ordinarily sends this trial upon the too sensual soul, which wants to be in continual enjoyment of him. Our Lord takes this soul with him for a while to Gethsemane, to let it have taste there of joys more bitter. But most of the time, hardness of heart is a punishment. It is a result of our sins, and we must avoid it at any cost. The trial does not last long. It comes prepares us for greater graces, pays some of our little debts, and then the sun shines again. The heart cannot of its own accord remain insensible to God. Only sin or a state of sin can force it into that state. Our Lord was able to bear the suffering of Gethsemane only three hours, and the sorrow in his heart, his father's abandonment of him, brought him to the portals of death. When this state lasts a long time, we must find out whether it may not be our own fault, for its duration is ordinarily a sign that we have brought it upon us. Suppose, in fact, that you have been insensible for a long time, a year or more, to the graces of God, to His inspiration, to prayer. You need not go far to seek the cause, for it is within you. It is you. Determine it and do everything in your power to be delivered from your aridity of heart. It is clear that when a soul which once enjoyed God falls into such a state, it does so only by its own fault. God is not so stern. He is a good father who would be incapable of hiding long from his children. If he turned away his face from us too long, we should die. Holy Scripture bears witness that God is good full of tenderness and love, that he is a father, a mother to his elect. Surely we must needs feel his sweetness, his goodness, unless we are guilty. It is as if we lacked a certain sense, as if we were paralyzed, and by our own fault. Let us discover the causes of this condition, that we may remedy it. One cause is superficiality of mind, which seeks dissipation in outward things. The frivolous mind is never at home, knows not how to reflect, and acts from instinct and impulse. It wants to be fed whenever it is hungry, and takes neither time nor trouble to seek its nourishment. Not finding it in God, it turns towards creatures. If it meditated, it would receive nourishment. But it fritters away the time of meditation with trifles. Is it astonishing that the heart should suffer as the result? Insensibility or hardness of heart begins then, ordinarily, in superficiality of mind. Be careful, therefore, not to allow your thoughts to be distracted. Fix your entire attention on your meditation, in which you nourish and rekindle your heart, in which you plan your strategy for the spiritual combat. A meditation which does not arm you for the fray is worthless. It does not nourish, and you will fall from weakness. 
But, you will say, I make every effort at meditation, and still my meditation does not help me. In that case, choose another subject, one that appeals to you more. If this weapon does not serve you, take up another. For armed, you must be. Bear in mind that in the spiritual life, there are practices which are simply devotional and others which are necessary, such as meditation, the spirit of faith, and of prayer. Nothing will take the place of these. If they are abandoned, the spiritual life which they sustained is extinguished. It is certain that the heart lives by the mind and that love and affection are nourished only by meditation. Another cause of hardness of heart is our unfaithfulness to grace. God's grace, illumination, and inspiration are never wanting to us. God continually speaks to us. But we stifle His voice, and in so doing, deaden our heart. For it lives only by grace, this heart of ours. If it no longer receives this sustenance, it dies of starvation. Beside the graces of salvation, we are given also graces of sanctity and of vocation. To these likewise we must be faithful. It is they that really make us what we are to be. For what is a man without his vocational grace? For an adorer, this grace lies in prayer, in the sacrifice of self as he kneels before the most blessed sacrament. Neglect this grace and you will perish. Without fire, there is no warmth. Examine yourself carefully in this regard. If you pray, then all goes well. If you are neglectful of prayer, you are rushing to destruction. You will obtain God's grace only through prayer, sacrifice, and meditation. If you will not fulfill these conditions, you will not obtain their effect. You have a right to graces, if you do not take advantage of that right, it is your own affair. But you will be asked to give an account of the talent you are keeping to no profit. So long as the body follows its regimen, all goes well. Your soul, too, has a regimen to follow. Do you say all the prayers that are prescribed for you? Perhaps you have given up prayer for a time only. You will take it up again, you say. That is presumption. If you try to live without God and without spiritual nourishment, you will fall by the way. But I omit only prayers of devotion. Take care. You have been saying these prayers for a long time. Why give them up now? That is ingratitude, sloth, and you are taking a road that leads to sin. You must never change your regimen yourself. Do more, if you will, yes, but never less. Otherwise, your devotion will languish. Do not say, there is no law that obliges me to continue such and such a devotional regimen. When we love God, we do not consult the letter of the law, but only the desire of our heart. A third cause is sensuality of life. God loves us so much and wishes so greatly to raise us to himself that every time we seek our happiness in ourselves or in creatures, he punishes us. 
or at any rate, we punish ourselves by no longer serving him with joy and alacrity. This chastisement is not long in coming, but follows closely upon the fault. That is a law of holiness. Other sins are not so swiftly punished as the sin of taking pleasure in self or in creatures. Mortal sin is its own punishment until God's justice is avenged in the hereafter. But the person who seeks consolation in creatures or in himself makes God's grace ineffectual. He lowers and dishonors God in himself, and he is punished immediately by being deprived of the peace and contentment which come from serving God. That is, he finds his punishment in the sin itself. Such souls are very numerous. They want to enjoy all the time. In every state of life, they seek first of all the side that appeals to their feeling. They mistake their sentimentality for greater love. The truth is, such a soul is like a child that is given a reward it does not deserve in order to please it and make it quiet. Sensual souls do not love. Rather, they seek to be loved instead. In their enjoyment, they become ungrateful toward him who alone is the source of this holy gratuitous joy. This joy, which is the gift of the Savior, they attribute to their own virtue and merit. Woe to us if God were obliged to treat us like that. He would be flattering us, as people flatter the dying by concealing from them the gravity of their condition. So, when we find our heart has grown insensible, let us see if we have not been living too sensual a life. I am not speaking of an abominable sensuality, but of sensuality in good things, of the pleasure our self-love takes in good works, the sensuality which one does good in order to enjoy it and give honor and glory to oneself rather than to God, the author of all good. Be quick to rise out of this state and praise God for the hard treatment he gave you in order to make you recognize your malady. It is, therefore, necessary to have a heart that is sensitive, pliable, susceptible to grace, obedient to its slightest influence, capable of feeling God working within it. But people say, whoever works prays, and although I do not feel God's presence, my work sanctifies me. If you pray while you work, that is good. But unless your work is animated by good intentions, aspirations, and union with God, it is not a prayer. Pagans and infidels work too. If you work from love of God, you are praying. Otherwise, not. But when I work, I am doing the will of God. That must suffice. You think of that divine will, do you? Are you really working in order to conform with it? But I am doing my duty. Do not deceive yourself. Soldiers and galley slaves also do their duty. The outward life by itself is not a prayer. In order to become one, it has to be filled with the love of God and with the spirit of prayer. This has been taken from 
Holy Communion by St. Peter Julian Emard. This and other books by St. Peter Julian Emard, the Apostle of the Eucharist, are available through MMR Publishing. Call toll-free 1-877-395-2320.